Amen, and good morning to you. Merry Christmas. That's what I'm talking about. It is great to be with you this morning, and uh, great time. I was thinking about yesterday. I was in the parking lot of Costco, and I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking about God coming to earth in the person of the Lord Jesus, and I was like, that's crazy, like in a great way, right? And, uh, and then I was thinking, I'm going to get to see Jesus one day. And uh, I don't know why it hit me. I teared up in the parking lot. People were looking at me like, what's wrong with that fool? So then I lay prostrate down. No, I didn't. I just didn't. So anyway, it was just a good moment, a reminder of truth in this crazy world we live in. We're in our fourth week of Advent, and uh, we uh, better set my watch here. I will go way long. But... Uh, we have hope. We've talked about hope, biblical hope. We've talked about, uh, what are we talking about next, Monty? Joy. I talked about joy. <laughs> and, uh, and I am getting older. And then last week, Monty talked about love. And this morning, we're going to talk about peace. So I'll light these candles in remembrance of that. And, uh, and we will get started. You can go ahead and get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, where we've sort of been camping out a little bit in terms of uh, our Advent series, Treasures of Advent, Vent, Peace. Well, when I thought about this topic of peace, I thought everyone wants it, right? Anyone here doesn't want peace, but it's hard to find and we can't seem to get it. We talk about it, we write songs about it, we repeat it over and over, we talk about it at funerals, when people die, we say rest in what? Peace. At Christmas time, we see it everywhere, on cards and banners and Christmas decorations, this word peace is everywhere. But few of us, including myself. And as I went through this text this week and thought about this subject, I thought I have failed as much as experiencing the living real peace of God as I have anything in my Christian walk. And, um, and yet at the same time, I have experienced his peace in the midst of heartbreaking circumstances. So we're all after that. And if we're honest, what we experience can and day-to-day life can feel just the opposite of peace, can it not? It can feel like a war, uh, wars we wrestle in terms of where is God and what is he doing in our lives, those normal questions, uh, war within our own hearts against our own sin, uh, against other sins toward us, feels like a war, war with, and as Christmas approaches and family comes in, war with family members and co-workers and Uh, and I say war, relational conflicts, neighbors, and even complete strangers, peace seems so difficult to grasp and experience, and yet war seems as easy as what? Blinking. That just seems to the bent of what does humans do. And so I thought about war in terms of military war, and I did a little research just to show what humans naturally do. Considered... Uh, a war is considered if there are at least a thousand people die in it, so pretty high bar there. 
Over the last 3,400 years in civilization, there's only been 268 years without at least one war going on. And just in the 20th century, over 108 million people have been killed in wars. The need for peace is so great because humans are so bent toward war that there are 22 million people worldwide who serve full-time in the military. The Gulf War cost $76 billion. The Vietnam War, $500 billion. I don't even want to think about the Af Afghanistan War. Certainly, world peace is elusive. And we humans, we just look for peace in some of the craziest places. Think about it. We, we look for peace in our retirement accounts, in our health insurance, in tornado shelters, in our safety nets in society. We look for peace through our police force, by the kind of locks we have on our doors. None of those are necessarily bad, but they just will not bring the kind of peace that we really, really want. And surely, if you're living under a rock, and I don't think any of you are, you have to be thinking about this world that we live in right now. Between COVID and crime and everything in between, there seems to be no peace whatsoever. Full of anxiety, paralyzed with fear, emotionally drained, and a lot of other things we're feeling. But as, as I would say, to make you remember it for show, we ain't experiencing peace. You with me? Thank God for the Lord Jesus and his word. Listen to what he says in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, so let not your heart be troubled. Imagine this, in the very last hour, of the Lord Jesus' life, he is actually helping others experience peace, to not be anxious. In some ways, if you think about it, it's one of the most amazing things in the Bible that he was concerned for the peace of his people. He is about to be tortured to death through the crucifixion. And the burden, one of the burdens on his hearts was to be to put peace in the soul's of his people. And notice he says, my peace is not as the world gives you. He's not speaking of some kind of new world order. World order. It's very personal, and I'll paraphrase it. I'm not giving to you, he says, the kind of peace that can be taken away when the police go away or when the lots are, locks are taken off the doors or when the mob comes or when your retirement account is stolen or when a tornado rips through your home. And I thought this week when that tornado went through Kentucky, I saw something online of a man sitting in a home and all the walls were gone and the roof was gone. Some of you saw it. And he was sitting there playing a hymn about the greatness of the Lord Jesus on a piano in his home. And they interviewed the man. And he spoke of the peace of Jesus Christ in his life, even though he had lost everything materially. 
Jesus is saying that the peace he promises is not circumstantially based. Listen to what he says in John 16, 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So how is it that we experience that kind of peace? And to do that, I want to start with the rival of Mr. Peace himself, the Lord Jesus. Luke 2, 8 through 14. Let's read it again. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So the arrival of the Lord Jesus in Luke 2, 8 through 14. A multitude of heavenly hosts announced the birth of Jesus. He says, glory to God and peace on earth. And I get the glory to God part. It's, it's pretty <clears throat> glory bound when God comes down from heaven in the birth of his son. But what about the peace part? Because we don't have peace. We struggle with peace. Was Jesus telling the truth? I'm not a heretic, so read closely. He was telling the truth. Notice with me, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now, when you read that, you got to ask the question, with whom is he pleased? Who is that? Because that's the key to peace. The angel in the multitude is not declaring world peace, but they are declaring peace with whom God is pleased. God is only pleased, and this is key. He is only pleased with those who by his grace have placed their trust in the death of his son for the forgiveness of their sins, the sins of past, present, and future. It is to them he is pleased, and it is to them he calls sons and daughters. Now, if you know Christ, circle this. You are one of those in which he is pleased. He chose you. He saved you. He came to indwell you through his Holy Spirit. He loves you. He cares for you. He is with you. He speaks to you through his word. He is writing your story for his glory and your good and this is the great news that the angels declare. Now you say, Jeff, I know that. I've been in church all my life. But that is still the game changer. Nothing before it and nothing since will ever surpass it until he returns again. And so if the birth of Christ tells us anything, it tells us a lot of things. But if one of those things, at least at a high level, it is 
God is screaming to you that he wants us to experience this person of Christ in a way that we can actually experience peace in the midst of whatever happens here on earth. And so let's define it. I did this with joy, just a working definition of biblical peace. Biblical peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. It means that a person is safe and whole and sound. In the New Testament, it is revealed as the reconciliation of all things to God via Jesus Christ. You can look up Colossians 1 and Romans 5. It flows from all of one's relationships being made right with God, right within oneself and with others. Peace is what was lost in the garden, Genesis 3, and restored on the cross. The rest of heart that comes from believing that God is good and in control. Now, to me, that sounds delightful. I want more of that, not less of that. So here's the three steps that we're going to look at this morning to experiencing God's peace, and they will build off each other. The first one is peace with God. The second one is then you can have peace within yourself. And the third one is peace with others. And I want you to know it must be done in that order. The more you believe and internalize your peace with God, the more peace you will have in your own heart, mainly because it is peaceful to know that nothing between you and God has changed even when you sin. And the more peace that takes root of you takes root inside of you, that's going to give you the strength and power and perspective to have peace with others, even your enemies. That is the flow that gives us peace. So let's unpack first peace with God. Peace with God is, I would say, the most basic and foundational need we have in all other pursuits of peace. It is the root, if you would say, or the springboard to peace within and peace with others. One of the key passages that speaks to that is Romans 5.1. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, believing in Christ alone for salvation, that's my part, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about the book of Romans, you know Paul, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, he is in some ways writing this, this lawyer-like legal declaration, of trying to convince all men, Jew and Gentile, that they are sinners. So he's making a case for the sinfulness of man all the way through. And then he gets to chapter 5. He has several therefores. One of the first ones is in chapter 5 where he says, Therefore, those of you who have known Christ have been justified, and now you have peace with God. So you no longer, you needed that peace because there was something wrong. So this person that, and let me define it for you here. So that word justified, we need to understand what Paul is saying here. And it's in your notes. Is it in your notes? No, it's not in your notes. So I'm going to read it to you. A legal term of pronouncement of a judge to declare righteous, to be acquitted by God from all charges forever that could be brought against a person because of his or her sins. 
This is the person that Luke 14 was speaking of. Peace to whom he is well pleased is a person who has peace with God because he's been justified by God because he's placed his trust in the shed blood of Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And so to be clear, this peace is not a feeling of peace. This peace is a new status. Your whole status has changed, and this new status often and can and should, as you mature in Christ, which we'll talk about later, bring a feeling of peace. It means you were once enemies and now you're friends because of your trust in the death of Christ. To put it more bluntly, it is a reversal of your previous status. And what was your previous status? Romans 1.18 tells us, and this is just the gospel that I'm rehearsing for us this morning. It is foundational to everything about peace. But Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that's us. The wrath of God was against us. We were once hostile. We were enemies. We were alienated, separate, distant, and under his wrath and judgment. And now we are reconciled. And that makes us people and to whom God is well pleased. Now, let me just say this. If that ever gets old to you or to me, which it has, then we need to check ourselves. Because what that says to us is something, we're missing something. We're not doing well spiritually. That is the great news that the angels announced. This piece I described as shalom. Remember that in the definition? This, this peace that is safe and whole and sound is about the whole person. So when the Prince of Peace invades our lives through his spirit and he declares us righteousness because of the work of Jesus on the cross and we trust in it, it not only means the war with God is over, but it also begins, I want you to remember this, to peace our broken lives back together to grow us, to heal us, to help us grow emotionally, relationally, how we think about life and God and the world, to heal our hearts, to bring us great self-awareness of the difference as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 between us and God. There is a great difference. This positional or vertical peace with God produces shalom. God's disposition of wrath toward us has been flipped on his head. And he will never, ever turn against us. And from now on, all of our dealings with him are for our good and his glory. I, 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 can't, I can't say enough for me and for you how important that is for you to settle that. Now, you can be a Christian and still not get 
who you are in Christ, this peace with God and the significance of that and the change of that. And so if I said anything to you over Christmas break as your pastor and over this next year, you got to get this. You got to do the work because I know that you know the sins you struggle with, the sins you commit, the doubts you have about does God love me? Does he care for me? Is he for me? In light of your story, in light of your own sinfulness, in light of just this world we live in, I know how that can feel overwhelming. This is the antidote to that. This is the starting place. Knowing who you are in Christ. I remember a few years ago, and I think I told it in church. I'm going to tell it again. I read a story about the famous philosopher and mathematician and author. His name was Thomas Carlyle. He married a gal named Jane. And Thomas was a narcissist. Uh, He was self-absorbed. He treated his wife poorly. He rarely pursued her, rarely spent any kind of time with her. And about the second year of their marriage, she got cancer and died. This was in the 1800s. No treatments. And after her death, he happened to find one of her diaries. And he opened it up, and on one of the days it said this. He spent an hour with me yesterday. It was like heaven. I love him so. He threw his diary on the floor, and he ran back to her grave tomb. It was raining and muddy where they had just dug the grave. He laid on his belly in the mud and rain and sobbed. If only I had known. If only I had known. I wonder how many of us, when we see the Father face to face, will say, if only I'd known how much you loved me. Or as Monty talked about last week when he talked about love, if I'd only believed how much you loved me. I want to tell you, I want to remind you, God is not like Jane. He has made it abundantly clear how he feels about you if we know him. He says he is well pleased with those in whom he calls to himself. Because we have peace with God by being justified by faith. Once that's settled and once you internalize in a real and genuine way who you are in Christ, then you got a chance to have peace within you, which is really what you want. But you can't have really what you want until you actually get what you need, which is peace with God. Peace within yourself, our second point. I want to start with where what Paul said about experiencing personal peace. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He says, finally, brothers, sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And you will experience his peace. So so we ask the question, what is honorable? 
What is just? What is pure? What is lovely? What is commendable? What is excellent? What is worthy of praise? What is it that Paul wanted the Philippian church to learn? What is it that he said they had learned and received and heard and seen in him? Now, there could be lots of answers there because Paul, you know, was with that church. He taught that church. But in light of what we know was Paul's main message, he said in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, that his main message was the gospel, the first thing. And what he taught everywhere he went, it had to start with all that I just told you about having peace with God and being in Christ. Like You want to know what they learned from Paul, what they saw from Paul, what they were taught from Paul. It is being justified by faith. It is about your new status in Christ. It is about your declared righteousness. My goodness, you can go to the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's all about being in Christ. You can go to the book of Galatians. Everywhere he went, that was Paul's core message because he knew if they got that, they had a chance to get peace within themselves. It is the good news of the gospel. And so there's no doubt here that Paul is telling them to rehearse the gospel to yourself over and over and over. When you sin, when you struggle, and when you're having great days, that is the message to your soul and the key to you experiencing peace inside. We learned something else, though, in Philippians 4.12. Paul tells us that if he suffered and had little, or if he didn't suffer and enjoyed material prosperity, and I'm paraphrasing, he had learned to be content or have peace with whatever God decided to do or not to do. I want you to make note that it was something that Paul had to learn. It did not come natural to him. And if he had to learn it, and it didn't come natural to Paul, guess who else has to learn this and it doesn't come natural to? Raise your hand if you're with me. That's every Christ follower. Paul's contentment and peace is rooted in and grounded in his union with being in Christ and justified in Christ and his theology, what he knew about God and his character and God's actions toward him, both spiritually and in his daily lives. Paul's submission to God, regardless of the conditions he found himself in, was the key to his internal peace, that God was wisely ordering his life for a good purpose, and Paul was content in that. He had to learn that. Here's what I know. Do you remember Paul often prayed for his circumstances to change, just like we do? You remember Paul praying about the thorn in the flesh? He prayed three times, and his circumstance did not change. But he still yielded to, as Paul would tell us, God's kind and merciful and gracious rule over his life in the midst of suffering. Paul had to learn this. And I'll just put it plainly. Put it in another way. 
Paul had to grow into spiritual maturity just like you and I do. There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. It takes time plus effort plus the body of Christ, plus the word of God, plus asking for help and then failing and repenting over and over and then returning and doing it all over again. There's no rocket ship where you come to Christ and you shoot straight up into spiritual maturity. It is a journey that is difficult, but God matures than those whom, whom he saves. Jesus is not a means to our peace. He is our peace. And when we grow in our intimacy and knowledge of him, learning that he is trustworthy, learning that he is for us, learning that, that he is with us, all the things, really believing his promises in a way that are heartfelt and deep, our peace increases with every trust step we take. That is how we experience internal peace, but it goes back to peace with God. Matter of fact, I'll put it this way. No peace, no maturity. That's a check. There's a gauge for you. How's my peace gauge? That will tell us proportionately the amount of peace we will experience. Generally speaking, that's how it works for all of us. The more we're maturing Christ, the more peace we experience. So our process of growth, sanctification, is not only a process, but it often seems like we're just plodding along. Think turtle. You want to think of your growth and my growth? I've been a Christian 40 plus years. It has felt like a turtle. Like that, right? <laughs> it's slow. It's, it's, it's many times, I know Jenna would say this about me and I would say this about her, it was undiscernible. <laughs> you couldn't see it. I one time came home from a, uh, a uh, I just lost it again. I am getting old this morning. Uh, what was the big men's group back in the day? Promise, Promise keepers from Dallas and Dallas, Texas, five, six, seven, eight thousand men and the Lord just wore me out there and I came home in tears and I said, Jenna, I'm going to change. And she said, proof's in the pudding and walked away. <laughs> yeah, it was undiscernible. But God was doing something in me. He was giving me desires that I didn't have. He was growing me. He was giving me hope. And I laugh now at that, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you that's what he does. The growth may almost seem imperceptible at times, but it certainly is taking place if we are pursuing Christ with great intentionality. John Piper puts it this way. If we want peace to rule in our lives, Christ must rule in our lives. If we want peace to rule in our lives, Christ must rule in our lives. God's purpose is not to give you peace separate from himself. Because we've tried that. And every place we go to get it, no matter how great the circumstance, it is fleeting. His purpose is to give you peace by himself, becoming the most glorious person in your life. 
This is why when we try to find peace outside of him, it is always short-term and fleeting. And when it fails to bring the peace we thought it would, we find ourselves returning to him in new and fresh ways. And that is the process of spiritual growth. So we try to find peace outside of him. We find out that he doesn't. His spirit and his kindness and his mercy and his grace works in such a way where he turns us back toward him, and we say, oh, that didn't bring it, so I'm going to drive hard toward him again. And then we start to drift, and we go, and we do what? Try to find it somewhere else, and he says, okay, I tried to tell you, right? And we go, well, that big raise didn't bring it. Getting to own a house didn't bring it. That new car didn't bring it. Whatever it is, he says, only me. Only me, and at some point we go, I'm coming after you because I know you are peace. To summarize, the key to peace is keeping together what the angels kept together in Luke 2. Well, they say, glory to God and peace to man. Therefore, I would put it this way, a heart bent on showing the glory of God in your life will also know the peace of God. Where are your longings? Where are your affections? Where are your desires? If they are to show the glory of God, if that's where your heart is bent with your entire life, proportionally you will experience the peace of God. And here's what Romans 15, 13 says about it. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? Believing. To believe the promises of God as we grow in spiritual maturity. And as we do, we'll experience God's peace. Now, practically, I, I, I want to be empathetic as your pastor. I want to have empathy for myself and for you. Because I have been full of anxieties, and I will be again. And so I want to help you with this. There's a quote. I'll put it in your notes, and I'll read more than I put. It's from the Voice of the Heart Bible study, and it speaks of anxiety. It says, anxiety provokes a person to flee, fight, or freeze. And my life has been full of fleeing and fighting and freeze. Freezing. Fear prompts a person to move toward help. And so what we have to do, says anxiety moves us to become stressed out and worried and controlling. We've all felt that. Either we've done it or we've received it. Probably both. Anxiety is what happens when we fail to acknowledge our fear and it ends up putting us in emotional bondage and spiritual bondage. But here's how our way out. If we feel our feelings, as Phil Herndon would say, who wrote that Bible study, right, Phil? And tell the truth. We feel our feelings and we realize I am feeling afraid. Therefore, I go to the person of peace, the Lord Jesus. I go to the person of peace's people, other Christ followers, and I acknowledge my fear which gives us a chance to turn back to him in new and fresh ways. Don't stay locked up with anxiety. 
Lastly, peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with others. So here's the deal. When you are secure in Christ, and there's a growing sense of who you are, that you really are, despite all your failures and all your sins and all that God knows about your life, past and present, but you are saying, because the scriptures say, you are one in which he is well pleased. When the gospel for Christians gets settled inside of you, and then you have learned through growth and trial and error and failure to have peace within yourself, regardless of your circumstances, you are then in a prime position to experience peace with others. <laughs> it is the core reason why marriage is tough. Because you haven't really internalized peace with God. Therefore, you can't what? Have peace within yourself. Therefore, you got another person in your own house that has an internalized peace with God and therefore doesn't have peace inside. And y'all wonder why you can't get along. I wish Jen and I would have known this 36 years ago. It'd be very helpful. But now you're in prime position to experience peace with others, even your enemies. Romans 12, 18 says, be at peace with all men if at all possible. We are, as Christ followers, to be known as pursuers of peace or, or peacemakers. But this peace is not like some hallmark romance movie that you've been watching for the last few weeks as Christmas approaches. Because peace, real peace, cannot be had at the expense of truth. Peacemakers are this. They are those who apply to themselves and proclaim to others the great news announced at the birth of Christ, the gospel. We do that daily. We look for those opportunities to apply to ourselves and to others. And since we have come into this possession of God's gracious gift of his son, which gave us peace with God, with all our hearts, we attempt to bring that peace to others via Christ. How do we do that? Here's what we know. Jesus is peace, but his life did not necessarily bring peace. When he told them who he was, the Prince of Peace, it caused conflict. It got him killed. So biblical peace isn't absent of conflict. But the heart of the mission of Jesus was peacemaking. First, to have people having peace with God. So as we deal with people, even the most difficult people, we do so in a way that we first remember this, the undeserved grace we receive when we were enemies of God. They don't know. It's the shout of the criminal on the cross. For is Jesus saying on the cross, forgive them for they what? Know not what they do. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 puts it this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the key. Peace with God, 
peace within yourselves. And peace within yourselves means you are growing spiritually in such a way that that last phrase in Ephesians 4, as God forgave you, is ruminating inside of you like a wild animal. When, you, when someone comes after you and conflict's about to happen, that is where you go as God forgave you. God's mercy to you. We're to cultivate this sense of amazement that in spite of all our sins, God has forgiven us in Christ to be amazed and stunned that you have peace with the living God and extend that gracefully 70 times 70 to others. Keep being more amazed that your wrongs are forgiven than that you were actually wronged. And in doing so, Here's what will happen. God will be glorified and you will experience his peace. Peace with God, peace within yourself, and peace with others. The peace with God part was instant, instant say it with me. Instantly, thank you. I'll, I'll just say the short version. Instant. The peace within yourself and with others is progressive. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. A great gift of self-awareness is, again, there's something I'm not seeing about who I am in Christ and how kind and merciful he has been to me in Christ. If you're not growing, peace within yourself, or peace with others. It's always the key. As we look to apply this this morning, I want to take us to Colossians 1. We have communion and just the practical steps are that. Uh, we have the little cups with a wafer and juice in that. In some ways, we want to look at this picture of the cradle to the cross. That's where peace is found, from the cradle to the cross when all started. Colossians 1 tells us this, 19 through 22. For in him, in him, the baby that lay in the manger in Luke 2, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, including those who trusted his death on the cross. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, which was every person in this room, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is your new status. That is the position in which you come before the Lord Jesus. So stand with me this morning, and I want you to worship him, hopefully in a new and fresh way. Thank him with all your heart that in despite, despite of your sins, you stand before him holy and blameless and righteous because of only Christ. Take a, minute, a moment to confess your sins.
to think practically of those that you need to go have peace with others. Confess to him your anxieties inside, the peace that you don't have inside, and trust again in new and fresh ways his goodness to you this morning.